Mimeo Talk of the Trade, sharing marketing and sales success stories. Hello, everyone. This is Mike McNary. I'm excited to welcome you to the premiere episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. We're really pumped to be launching this series, and with each installment, we're bringing you marketing and sales success stories, tips, tricks, best practices, what's working, and what's not. Every monthly episode will feature subject matter experts, their ideas, and key takeaways for you listeners. Today, my guest is Matt Hines. Matt is the founder and president of Hines Marketing and the host of Sales Pipeline Radio. Our topic is going to be five tips for following up with inbound prospects. Thanks for joining, Matt. Oh my gosh. I, first of all, thanks for having me. And second of all, to be your guest on your inaugural episode is an honor. So thank you so much. Well, we're excited to have you and we're pumped about uh, launching the series, like I said, and I think uh, you're just the right person to kick, it, kick us off. So uh, why don't we start off a little bit about you, Matt, for the folks of, uh, in our audience that don't know you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so started Heinz Marketing about 12 and a half years ago. Uh, I've got a sales and marketing background. I've been running and growing this business uh, for a while. And, you know, we really focus on helping companies build predictable pipelines. We find that a lot of marketing organizations, well-meaning teams are doing random acts of marketing. And unfortunately, that leads to lumpiness of sales pipeline production. So we help put together, you know, a strategy, a process, systems in place to help those companies build more scalable, repeatable um, and predictable pipelines moving forward. Hey, I don't know a business out there that couldn't use some of that. So that sounds great. What's your uh, What's your favorite thing about being in this business? Ooh, good question. You know, I, honestly, it is to, to be able to do good work and see the results. You know, see the before and after impact, not just of like you know leads being generated, but pipeline created. You know, qualified pipeline converted, and see the consistency. How, of how companies are able to not just hit their number, but hit the growing number they're expected to hit in the growth phase of their business. It's very gratifying. Yeah, it's got to be. And also see, you know, the people, the, the sales professionals that those tips and tricks are helping, you know, not only to start, but to develop their careers. That's got to be really rewarding. So yeah, very much. Um, well done. Um, for, for those in our audience that want to check out your podcast, where can people find Sales Pipeline Radio, Matt? Very simple, just salespipelineradio.com. Uh, we got a little head start on you guys. We're about 240 episodes in, been doing it for a couple of years, just once a week, and it's just been it's been just a pleasure just to be able to sort of get a variety of people in and around B2B sales and marketing, sharing some of their best practices as well as some of their cautionary tales. It's been a good journey. Yeah, I'd imagine, and it's quite the hit. I saw that you guys have almost 150,000 downloads at this point, so. Well done. Uh, we hope to get there at some point soon, but got to start somewhere, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> number, uh, episode one, we're on our way. That's right. So only 200 more to go to get to, to sales pipeline status. But um, again, thanks for having uh, you know a few minutes to, to share with us today. Again, we're going to talk about breaking through the noise, five effective warmly follow-up tips. Um, when we were talking about this, one of the first things that came to mind was uh, when thinking about warmly follow-up was, prioritization and lead triage. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts there. Well, it's, it's really important that you understand what a good lead looks like for you, what your ideal customer profile is. Um, you know, a, 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 a noisy lead is not a qualified lead just because someone came to your last four webinars doesn't mean they're qualified. It might mean they're bored. Um, so I think it's really important to, you know, have a next step for the people that are showing interest in you, but know which of those leads represent good potential future business. Um, and I would specifically, you know, uh, recommend companies look at their inbound leads 
you can make inbound numbers look really good, but most companies, if you look objectively at your inbound leads, you'll find that quality and the quantity may be growing, but the quality sometimes is inconsistent. So recognizing which of those leads are qualified, which of those are worth following up with, and then mapping that back to the pipeline expectations you have in your business so that you're augmenting that inbound qualified volume with leads from other sources to get to that predictable pipeline number. Very true. Yeah, you want to stay away from the first in, first out approach and make sure that you're really identifying who's going to have the best ROI and where you should spend your time. Absolutely. So what's at risk? You know, if you're not doing this well today, what can happen for a business if they're not prioritizing their leads properly? Well, you spin your wheels. I mean, I've seen a lot of companies get really excited about a high volume of leads, get really excited about their sales team, make it a bunch of phone calls. And those not really go anywhere. I, I will never forget one of my very first clients 12 years ago. You know, we were, I was in the weeds doing the band gen to try to drive leads into their sales team. And a healthy percent of their leads were coming from paid search. And I'll never forget going into a sales meeting and telling them that I'd cut off 90% of the paid search budget. And before they had a chance to throw me out the window, I showed them the data that said that like you were getting a lot of volume, like you were feeling good about responding back to some of these leads, but they simply weren't converting. And then when we looked into it, they just didn't match their ideal customer profile. So we said, listen, we got the money. We'll go find somewhere else to get you the leads. But like these are a waste of your time. We literally did the math and found out that they were their cold calling efforts were more productive than following up with these leads, even though they everyone said, oh, we're getting leads. It's great. Right. It was actually counterproductive. So really critically important to make sure you're not only spending your money wisely, but making sure that your sales team's finite time is spent in the right place. Right. There's that real opportunity cost of not spending your time in the right place. Absolutely. So, you know, where have you seen this done well, right? When it's done really well, what does it look like? Well, I think you, you start up front with what that ideal customer profile looks like. You define what your best customers look like based on who your best customers are today or based on who you built your product for. And that intrudes, you know, sort of, you know, the typical demographic attributes, but it also includes, you know, at, you know, other characteristics of the company, of their industry, of their environment, of their tech stack that make them more likely to be good customers for you. And I think then you sort of go deeper and say, who are the members of the buying committee inside those accounts that are likely to have the problem you can solve? So ideally, there's some combination of right person at the right company that helps you define, hey, this is a good lead for us. And um, look, I mean, there, there may be people that aren't on your named account list or target account list that you still want to, that are still worth engaging. But it's really important that you do work up front to define what a good account is, what a good lead is. And then over time, as you engage with those leads, make adjustments to that model based on what's working and what's not. Right. Use those definitions as your guiding light and trust them. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you know your customer, then, you know, use that as a, a, a tip to prioritize who you're going to go after. Otherwise, you're going to end up spinning your wheels. Makes a lot of sense, Matt. Appreciate those insights. The other thing you talked about uh, as a second tip was making sure that you're doing research on your prospects specifically. Tell us a little bit about your overarching philosophy on, you know, pre-warm lead research uh, before outreach. Yeah, you know, I'll never forget the feedback I got from Steve Richard, who's uh, CEO at uh, Exec Vision out in D.C. You know, he, he was the first to tell me about the three-by-three three method. You take up to three minutes to find up to three things of interest to your prospect. 
you know, back in the day when, you know, people were, you know, in the field making calls on customers in person, you know, you could walk into someone's office without having done any research and simply just look at the wall. Uh, look at what's on their wall. What, what's on the wall that tells you what they care about? And what's on the walls may be less about what problems they're solving and it may be more about like, you know, you know, do they like their kids, do they like the Dallas Cowboys, like, you know, what are some interests that you can use to build rapport? But, you know, even today, purely digitally, you know, you go to someone's LinkedIn profile, you do a search of their name, you're going to find other social profiles they have. You're going to find clues of how to engage with them. You're going to find business clues. You're going to find out that they love SEC football. Uh, I would encourage you not to talk about their, their kids' pictures on Instagram in a first meeting if you don't have a relationship. But certainly show that you've done your homework, you know, customize your message and your approach to things that you see going on in their business. Not only will it make the message more relevant, it will, it stands out. So many people don't do that. So many people just call with the same message to everybody. So just a little bit of customization can go a very long way. Yeah, I agree. As someone who gets, you know, reached out to pretty often uh, in an effort to, you know, sell me or, or generate some interest with me to look at a product platform or service. It's really those customized and targeted outreaches that catch my eye. And uh, it really does help someone who's trying to get me to kind of see that email in my inbox. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a really good tactic, right? So uh, that resonates. Now, has there been an example maybe recently in the last couple of years where someone's done this really well in trying to reach out to you, Matt? Yeah, there's been a few. I mean, there's, there, you know, I think when someone looks at our business, you, know, you don't have to spend that much time on our website to get a sense for what we do. So someone that can customize something, even just mentioning the term predictable pipeline in a message. I mean, obviously that's something we talk about as nauseum. For someone to put that in their message makes a difference. Uh, I can also tell you, and this, this may be a mistake saying this on a podcast, but if you mention backyard chickens in the subject line to me, I am likely to open <laughs> that email. If you go deep enough on our website, on my bio, at the bottom it says, you know, we live in an old farmhouse and we've got a menagerie of animals, including, you know, our own, you know, hen-laying or egg-laying chicken. So every once in a while, someone will mention that. Every once in a while, someone will leverage that in a message, either in a voicemail or an email. And I almost all, I try to reply every single time, even if it's not something that I need or am interested in, just because they did their homework. And, you know, I talk about that three-by-three method. I mean, look, if you train yourself to go to the about section and find someone on the website, that's less than a minute, right? And so to find something interesting, if, and and here's the, here's the, here's what I figure. Like, if you have to go deep into someone's personal Facebook or Instagram account, that's fine. But, you know, kids and personal stuff, maybe you'll leave a little, a little, uh, you know, off of the first call. If it's in their bio, you know, if it's in their LinkedIn profile, they, they're proud of it. They want people to know about it. They want to talk about it. So, you know, if they're mentioning those things that prominently, it's a great opportunity to get your prospect to open up. Yep. Uh, I agree. And it I, sounds like we found uh, Matt Hines' kryptonite in terms of getting a reply. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. cue the uh, barrage of inbox requests uh, mentioning chickens. Here they come. That's right. Now, you know, is there a point at which you should realize as someone who's covering one lead that you've maybe spent too, too much time researching your prospect? Well, yeah, there is. I mean, I, I, I've seen a lot of comp- a lot of you know sales reps spend 25, 30 minutes right. researching and leave a 20 second voicemail. That's not very efficient. That's why I think you know less is more. You know, spend a little bit of time, find a couple things, see what you know. Every you know, a lot of the people you're calling on, whether it's their bio or their LinkedIn profile, like they are self selecting the things that are most important to them. 
what someone writes in their bio. I mean, everybody, not everyone has a Twitter account, but if someone does have a Twitter account, you only get so many characters to put in your bio on Twitter underneath your handle. What did they choose to put there, right? Is it all about right. their job? Do they mention that they're a proud mama? Do they mention that they're a marathoner? Like those are things that they want people to know about them. So it, you, I would say take those couple clues, have a strategy for the couple places you're going to go so it's something you can just do consistently and just get after it. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. And I really like your point about how things have changed, right? It, it, the days of pounding the pavement and trying to get an in-person across a lot of industries is a bygone era. And you can't make those same deductions online or with somebody's, you know, internet footprint that you could if you were meeting them in person or in their personal space, right? That's right. So... Uh, really interesting. And I think this is something that people uh, need to hear because I can't tell you how many young and hungry uh, folks that come into sales development or other areas of this you know, stage of the sale and are super enthusiastic. They want to do a great job and they bury themselves in this research component and can't get their job done at scale because they're spending too much time trying to get minutia. Well, and especially for younger reps, what I find is when they do that, it's it very quickly goes beyond trying to understand the prospect and just it becomes call reluctant. Yep. Um, even your most successful reps, like, you know, it's a performance every time you get into a sales call. And sometimes right. the best way to get over call reluctance, to have a phone, right? The best yep. way to ensure that you actually run in the morning, put your shoes on and go outside, right? Making sales calls is not that different. Pick up the phone, dial the number, dial the number. You know what to say. You know what you're doing. It's good enough. Yeah, I really like that sentiment. I, I also feel that way, uh, so, so kind of a side note, when somebody is writing a comprehensive email, it might not be at the warm lead follow-up stage, but someone's got a bunch of messaging that they're trying to communicate via email, and they might ask me, hey, what do you think of this email? And, and usually one of my first comments, depending on the note and, and what you're trying to get across, is pick up the phone, right? Pick up the phone and make a call. This is going to be a lot easier to, to talk about conversationally than trying to pull it out in a, you know, Three paragraph note. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. I, I, you know, look, I'm, I am, I think I'm an introvert naturally, but I have trained myself. Whatever channel I am thinking about using, go one up. If I'm thinking about doing a text, maybe I do an email. If I'm thinking about doing an email, maybe I do a phone call. If I'm thinking about doing a phone call, maybe I try to do a video call. So I think you know, the more senses you can engage with your prospects, the more focused they are, the more brains power you get with them and the more momentum you get in your deal. All right. I like that a lot. Level up on the outreach type. That's a good takeaway. An introvert, uh, you had me fooled, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. You know, we talked a little bit about their prioritization. We've talked about doing your research. Um, I think you put a lot of weight in implementing a multi-channel outreach strategy. Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Well, I see some sales reps will send an email to a fleet and just wait for a response and just sit there and wait. And I think I've seen others that'll just, you know, do one cycle of like leave a voicemail and listen an email and then just kind of give up. Equally, you can't call 15 times um, because that seems a little just it's not only does it seem uh, desperate from the seller's perspective, but it's a waste of time for the for the for the seller as well. Um, there we've done a lot of research and a lot of testing around this and we've found that you know it's about 13 touches across multiple channels over 11 business days is you know depending on your business is sort of this ideal sweet spot of making enough points of outreach to try to get someone on the phone or get someone live 
but not going past the point of diminishing returns where mathematically you're no longer likely to get the prospect on call. That doesn't mean 13 phone calls. It means making a call, leaving a voicemail, sending an email, some social touches, some social likes and favorites and retweets along the way as well. I mean, you're, you're trying to surround your prospects from multiple channels so they see you in a few different places. When you leave a voicemail and immediately follow that up with an email, you are 35% more likely to get your email responded to. Why? Because we're lazy. Oftentimes when someone leaves you a voicemail, oh, I'm serious, if someone leaves no, you a voicemail. you're not wrong. Yeah, that voicemail shows up as like an audio file in your email. And if you email right after, in your inbox, you've got voicemail from so-and-so and an email from so-and-so. Most people, and literally, there are studies behind this. Most people look at that voicemail and say, oh, I don't have time to listen to that. It's probably the same thing as this email, so I think I'll read the email, right? And so they're a little more likely to read it and a little more likely to respond to it. But it's that sequence, it's that right next to each other sequence that makes that multi-channel program work. And so you have to leverage those multiple channels and then also know when to cut it off and move on. Right. And when you move on, you know, is it, would it be strategic in a lot of these cases to make sure that there's some secondary treatment that that prospect is getting, maybe through marketing or, or some other uh, channel? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, look, I mean, it, it, depending on where that that prospect initiated, maybe they, you know, downloaded a white paper and you're trying to find out, like, you know, not just give them a demo, find out why did you download that? What about that topic is interesting. You know, I know you want to talk to them, which is great. But for the prospect's point of view, like transaction over. I gave you my email. I got my white paper. I'm done. So after a couple of attempts, if they're not responding, you're not done talking to them. You know, hopefully you've got things continued that you can share with them that's value added. If you're targeting the right people, the right companies, and you know what those people care about, there could be an infinite amount of information that you publish or maybe you curate from other sources that allow, that allow you to continue to build their attention with that prospect. Probably a little less frequently than, than that initial disposition sequence, but something on a drip basis from that point forward. And then... But they may, you know, being the right place at the right time for when they're ready to respond, great. Um, kind of being able to sort of watch what they respond to and when they come back to the website and maybe triggering a phone call back to them if they do enough stuff on your website that appears they're back interested again, even better. Yep. Well said. And I got to tell you, I, I really liked your note about um, don't make 13 straight or 15 straight phone calls as your preferred type of outreach. But I will tell you that my caller ID will tell you that people are still <laughs> practicing that. Oh, sure. You know, and I'm sure we all see that, but it's not what we're going to respond to most likely. So I think those are some good notes. Would you say that there's a type of outreach or, you know, we're talking about multi-channel. So, you know, that can mean a lot of different things. Is there a channel or an outreach type that you think is maybe underused in this day and age, but should be used more often? Well, the phone. Um, yep. I think we see a lot of people, I mean, this, but immediately the first thing I say is that, you know, like it feels like so much easier just to send an email, just send a social, send a follow-up email. Um, I will tell you, I mean, I don't know about you, like my inbox is full of pitches from people that either, God help me, I downloaded a white paper once and two years later they're still trying to sell me something, um, or just people that just found me on a list somewhere. Um, you know, I, our our office line is very public on our website. My cell phone number is pretty public in a lot of places as well. It's not very hard to find out how to get a hold of me. But for every one phone call I get, I probably get, I'm not kidding, 50 emails from 50 different people. So right. very few companies are picking up the phone. And, and some people would say, well, you know, we've been working from home for a year. The office doesn't exist for a lot of people anymore. It's, it's, you, people aren't, you know, the cold call's been dead. The phone's been dead for a while. The opposite has, in fact, been true. 
we've seen higher connect rates since the start of the pandemic on the phone than before. So I don't know what it is about people maybe feeling lonely working from their basements or the phone's right there and it doesn't ring as much as the office, but maybe they're more likely to pay. I don't know what it is, but we're seeing the phone actually as a stronger source of business and connections than it was even just 12 months ago. And I'm glad you covered that because I was going to even interject with that myself is that when we first got into the situation, say last March, my concern was that our teams would not be able to reach anyone, right? The phone would be, um, you know, something that would be uh, just a non-option for as long as this pandemic went on. And you're right. I've been pleasantly surprised that uh, connect rates have been, in fact, higher or in line throughout most of this. And it's been a surprise to me, too. Why? You know what? My follow-up was going to be why, but you said, who knows, right? Is it people are lonely because they're not talking to folks, they're stuck in their houses or their apartments? I don't know, but it's been uh, a, a nice development, in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think we've still driven a lot of business that way, and I'm hearing the same from a lot of our uh, other customers, at least from their sales department. So um, it's not a unique thing. Um, what do you think about video? So, you know, I know this was a big kick in the last, say, maybe a couple of years. I, I was getting a lot of video prospecting as a channel. We played around with it a little bit, and, you know, maybe it's a great channel, and we didn't do it effectively. That could be very well the case. But what are your thoughts on that as a form of one of the channels of outreach? Uh, well, I think it's, it's, you know, when I, when I talk about sending an email, um, you know, I think just putting a couple words into an email and calling it done, you could do that. But I think incorporating a video message, uh, a customized video message to people, you can have sort of a one to many message that, that sort of relays the context of your message in text that will probably get a higher engagement rate than just the text if someone sort of sees something and clicks on the Chiron. But, you know, there's tools, you know, like Vidyard and BombBomb and others that are doing a really great job of making it easy to record a quick video, right? To like get in front of someone with your picture to make it so that it actually seems like uh, there's there's a little more effort there. I mean, if you're going to spend the time to customize an email or customize a phone call, take 20 seconds to customize a video as well. Show them there's a real person behind it. Don't worry about your background. Like, sure, brush your teeth and comb your hair. Look presentable. But like, look real. <laughs> look like a real person. You know, right. that is trying to get a hold of someone. Like, people want to talk to people. Yep. No, I, you know what? I'll tell you. I, I, I don't know if it's a guilt thing or if I'm thinking when I receive it that, hey, you know what? This individual went to all this trouble to make a video. And I, I feel like my reply rate might be higher when I get a video outreach. But it's more a sense of uh, duty out of noticing that they've spent the effort, right? Yep. But it could be a good way to get the message out. And I think, listen, being creative and trying as much as you possibly can, so long as there's an ROI over time and you're tweaking it, trying to make it more effective as you go, mm -hmm. uh, I think they can all be effective. So I agree. good note on that. Um, let's move on to the next one. We talked a little bit about doing research on our prospects, the individuals. But, uh, you know, doing research at the organization level is important too. You know, where does this fall into your kind of tips for warmly follow-up? Uh, well, you know, we're we're ultimately trying to sell to the account, um, but, you know, building stuff right checks, people do. Understanding how the account makes decisions, how they buy, who else has a vested interest in the problem and focusing there, that will help you have a better conversation. I mean, even if you have like one person at the company you're talking to that is really excited about what you can provide, and one of your next questions may very well be, Okay, like if we're going to get this done, who else in your organization do we need to get on board? Like who else is going to be involved in this transaction? What do they care about? I mean, you can use that early adopter. You can use that early catalyst to map the unique buying committee to that organization so that you can build more momentum and consensus within the account. 
Yep. And depending on what you're selling, I think um, there could be instances where you've had engagements with that company previously. Right? You may have, as an organization, tried to sell to that team or another department. And having that backstory can be very effective when you're making that initial outreach. So, totally agree. Totally yeah, agree. I, th I think that's big. Now, you know, when thinking about mapping the organization, do you think it's important to do it, um, you know, looking at it from the department of the person that has reached out or is the warm lead? Or would you go so broad as to map out the rest of the organization where there might be another ICP you can target? Um, boy, that's a really good question. I think it depends on the size and the matrix nature of the company, right? I mean, I think that, you know, if you're saying, well, our target, like, we have an opportunity with Microsoft. It's like, well, which part, right? Because I mean, right. there's some companies... <laughs> Some, I mean, there are multi-million dollar companies, huge organizations that all they do is mine opportunities within a Microsoft or a Google or a GE or some of these, you know, large organizations. Um, so I, I think that it's, you know, just because you have juice in one part of an org like that doesn't mean you'll necessarily have it in others. Um, you know, I've seen some companies go down a very inefficient path of saying, well, I got business in this one part of Microsoft. Let me find out from my champion who they can introduce me into another part. Different situation, different culture, different needs. It may be cold as a doornail um, or doorknob, you know, versus where you've got juice in one part of the company. So I think it, it goes back to that ideal customer profile. Like, what are the conditions that need to be in place for you to be able to sell? And the larger the organization, the more you need to make sure that those conditions exist locally within those different departments or business units um, versus just the organization as a whole. Yeah. And if you're getting a referral, you know, that is, in essence, just a warm lead, right? You don't need to treat it or work it any harder than you would another warm lead just because you've had success within that company, right? right. It could be, as you said, uh, a closed door or just a, a, a cold scenario overall. So um, I, I think that's really great. Now, thinking about reaching out to the individual, will you incorporate or do you think they should incorporate information about the account um, when kind of speaking to an individual, mentioning things like mergers, acquisitions, uh, maybe recent funding or other events that a company may have undergone. Well, I think including including information about, you know, the buyer's uh, highlights, I think certainly shows that you've done your homework. Um, you know, I think those kind of highlights from the seller, I think somewhat are less interesting. Yes, interesting validation points. Great. You got your series, your series Q funding like that's that's all fine yep. and good. And makes you know makes it someone else believed in you in order to give you money. But what does that have to do with me as a buyer? Like, why does that matter to my problems and what I'm trying to solve here? Um, so I think you can have a false sense of what's important to the buyer if you just start you know thumping your chest on those other things. But you know I think that if if your prospect just got funding, if your prospect just won an award, you know that may not be a buying signal. But as part of the body of work of earning trust and respect with your prospect, like reaching out and saying, hey, congrats on that award you guys won. Hope you're having a good quarter. You know, if you haven't heard from them in a while, sometimes that makes a difference. I will also tell you that, you know, some of those little things can get you an answer more quickly than just where's my proposal. I remember uh, years ago having a deal where, I, you know, I thought we were moving along on a good track and I sent a proposal that I thought was, you know, the next, the right next step and crickets for a couple of weeks. Didn't hear back for the prospect, and I assumed things might be dead. And then a couple of weeks later, you know, happened to be college football season, and I knew that my prospect's alma mater had a big game, big regional sort of game coming up um, that that weekend. And so I sent him a note just saying, "Hey, you know, good luck on the game this weekend. I know you'll be there. Hope it's a fun time." He wrote back within three minutes because I wasn't <laughs> talking about the deal; I was now talking right. about his team. 
And at the end of the email, and he went on for a while, like talking mostly about this, the, 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 uh, the beleaguered secondary. It was a very, it was a very technical email. But at the end of that, he said, Oh, it's sorry. I went dark. Here's why. Like I gave him a safe way and an excuse to, to give me the information I wanted. And sometimes, you know, look, if you know those things about your prospect, it gives you additional opportunities to engage. Yeah. And I saw an interesting post on LinkedIn uh, last month, whenever the national championship game was that, you know, if you're not reaching out to any top prospects that have an alma mater in the national championship game tonight, you're missing an opportunity to engage in a creative and positive way. And I think that's a a good message. So Um, really good. Yeah. I, I like that. I like segmenting out that research component and, um, finding the history or relevant talking points, both at the individual level and at the organizational level. And I think if you balance them properly, it can be really effective. So I think those are some great tips there, Matt. Um, finally, number five, uh, put a process in place for your team to regularly and consistently perform these steps that we've talked about. Why is this so important, Matt? Well, uh, you know, we all get excited about doing follow-up, right? And I was literally talking to a, pro- a company this morning and, you know, the, the, the roller coaster of business development they have. And, you know, what we found is that when they were busy, when there were a lot of, when there, the pipeline was full, they got, you know, maybe a little complacent. Uh, they got busy focusing on managing paperwork on those deals and they stopped prospecting. They stopped working on new deals, right? But as soon as those new, as soon as those pipe, that pipeline, flushed out as soon as they won a few deals and maybe lost a couple of deals, there wasn't anything behind it. You know, I mean, I think you know, it, it, I'm, a, I'm a big baseball fan. If you think about, you know, building a solid, you know, uh, organization as a baseball team, you need to have a great major league team. But if you want to be good for a long period of time, you need to have a really good farm system. You need to continue to be good at the draft. You need to be continuing to be good at identifying, signing and developing the next round of players for you. And so, you have to constantly be building your pipeline. And if you identify a system and a, a way of following up with leads and engaging leads that are in your, in your network, and if that becomes a daily, weekly habit, then you're more likely to consistently have that farm system. You're more likely to consistently have the results out of that pipeline you want. And I can tell you that like, I, I know some of the best sales reps that have been doing this for years that you would think of committed to memory still have physical checklists in front of them, still have systems that make it so that it is hard for them to ignore the steps they have to take every day, every week to be successful. Yeah, whatever works, right? If if you find a tried and true process, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yep. But yeah, but I think to your point on the checklist, I think that's one end of the spectrum, right? And it might be what companies who are early on in their life cycle or funding or, you know, just getting out of the gates and determining what it is their go-to-market strategy is going to be, you know, that might be a simple way to manage it, but it can get more complex as you develop, maybe have more uh, budget for certain tools or platforms. What are some more of the sophisticated ways of managing this warmly follow-up at scale? Well, I mean, there are certainly a number of tools you can use um, on the market to do that. I mean, I would encourage you to have something that you're putting in place in front of your reps so that it's very much a checklist system. Uh, if you have that 13-touch, 11-day process, um, you know, make that a checklist that your reps can come in and follow. And as soon as they finish something, it automatically logs that within CRM so that they don't have to spend a lot of time in CRM as well. I mean, the more that system is understood, the more it is automated, the more it is in front of your reps, the more time they are actively selling and the more productive they are. 
So look, if, if you don't have to start with that, you, st- you start by definition with a checklist. Like it could be something that is just laminated or tapped, you know, taped on the, uh, on the desk or the wall next to you. But if that's part of your systems, if you can just log in in the morning and immediately see, I got to make these four phone calls. I got to do these six follow up emails. And I, you know, just to, to just have that as a checklist that you can just move through efficiently, have the system tell you what's next. Um, that is a great way to create scalability and predictability in the results you want to generate. Yeah, it's so true. And I think that's why some of these sales engagement platforms uh, that I know a lot of organizations leverage, you know, we're lucky enough to have access to one, really help with that scaled outreach and the reminders about, you know, what part of that multi-channel outreach is coming up next, right? And give you the opportunity to really customize your messaging and making sure that you're staying on top of those tasks, right? What can we do um, in terms of process once you've gone through, uh, you know, your multi-channel outreach? Um, what's the best way to partner with marketing on making sure that there's consistent outreach at some sort of cadence, you know, post sales development touches? There's a really simple spreadsheet that we've been using for years uh, that, that that organizes your prospects and your leads by stage and then doesn't just have a name of a stage and a definition of a stage, but it makes it really clear what is sales job and what is marketing job at each of these stages. So if you've got a sales qualified lead and that goes over to sales, that's where you say, okay, marketing presents that lead. Here's where it's going to show up in what system. And then sales agrees that if it meets that criteria, they're going to do their 13 touch 11 day sequence until they reach them and qualify them, or at least sort of disposition them, or until they finish that process. If that process is finished, that lead automatically becomes a lead, you know, qualified lead dash nurture, or whatever your stage is. Sales puts it there. Now, what does marketing do, right? And so to say, okay, marketing now is going to own that lead. We're going to drip, you know, put drip campaign of content across a couple channels. But then we agree that once they reach a certain activity threshold on additional content they get, then that lead may go back to sales. So again, like every company is going to have a slightly different set of criteria they want to use. But if you can get that specific and make sure that both sides, both sales and marketing agree that if this stage, then this happens. If this disposition goes through a no response, then this happens, then there are no questions. There are, there is, there, there, there's a hundred percent clarity on what's going on and you can manage 10 leads or a hundred leads or 10,000 leads and know that the process is going to be followed in a consistent way. Right. Truly scalable. I like it. Well, thank you, Matt. This is wonderful. You know, in terms of takeaways, what I'm hearing is, you know, to really stand out on your one lead follow-up, you got to make sure that you're prioritizing your leads. You've got to conduct your research on the individual that you're reaching out to. You've got to have a multi-channel outreach strategy, understand the organization that you're targeting, And then finally, put a process in place that allows you to do this consistently and at scale. I love the list. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Some good takeaways there. And I got to tell you, uh, we appreciate so much you taking the time to share some of these tips with us and with our audience. So thank you so much. Um, For our audience that might want to get in touch with you directly, um, where should I send them? I appreciate the opportunity. You know, you can just go to HeinzMarketing.com, H-E-I-N-Z, like your ketchup, Marketing.com. We've got 12 plus years of content up there, blog posts, best practice guides, lots of B2B sales and marketing research. Um, you can just check me out, M-A-T-T, Matt, at HeinzMarketing.com. And, you know, we're publishing some of the best content we can find out on the web about B2B sales and marketing on our Twitter feed at, at Heinz Marketing. I agree. And I really encourage our audience to check out Sales Pipeline Radio 
Um, I listen to it. I know others uh, in similar positions and across the sales world that, that do as well. So um, check it out. And I think you'll get a lot of uh, good stuff from, from Matt and his, his guests. So um, thanks again, Matt. And to our listeners, uh, this is a wrap. Right, our first episode of Mimeo's Talk of the Trade podcast. We look forward to bringing some more content to you in the future. But for now, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Talk of the Trade is hosted by Mimeo, the better way to print. Find out more at www.mimeo.com.